Well, good morning, church. How are we? So listen, we are in this series that we are calling Kingdom Come, how the the beautiful life is made real in community. And again, a series that is all about this beautiful life that Jesus invites us into, how, how that beautiful life speaks most powerfully and brightness in our shared life together. And if that's so, then what is the texture? What is the shape? What, what is the flavor that our life is supposed to take? Last week, we talked about hope. This morning, we get to talk about, about our call from Jesus to serve the world around us, to serve those that we encounter in our everyday lives. As a church, we are known for the way that we serve Mannheim and the surrounding communities. Like just in the last two days, so Friday evening, there was an event here to celebrate people with special needs. And there were a couple hundred folks here on our campus. The area out in the lobby was wall-to-wall tables. Then yesterday, we had a funeral here for someone in the community. We're going to have another funeral here this afternoon. Serving is a part of the DNA here at Mannheim BIC, and one of the things that we will continue to drive as a church family. Our vision points speak to this, right? Our missionary ID vision point speaks to serving and, and loving the world around us. Our culture of love vision point speaks to showing grace and love and hospitality to everyone, regardless of who they are, especially to those that set foot here on 54 North Penryn Drive. But there's some some dangers for us here, and here are at least two. Because we're known as a church that serves, the danger is that as soon as we become satisfied with that reputation and we stop driving that call to serve and we'll see that, that, that in scripture, this is a call that comes to us from Jesus himself. And so, so th- that call has to always define us. The second danger for us is this, we can't let our reputation for serving as a church create a a, I gave at the office kind of mentality where we miss the opportunity to serve the people that God is bringing into our individual lives. So I want to take a few minutes to make this idea of serving others, I want to make this, this, this idea real for us. And I want to start with the verses that we read just a few minutes ago. This is Philippians chapter 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We'll do more with this scripture in a few minutes, but, but to get us started... I want you to think of a time where you acutely experienced this. Someone was acting towards you in a very selfless, a very serving kind of way, looking out for you and your needs above their own. What did that feel like? If we flip the table, 
when have you experienced the opposite of this? Where someone was dealing you, dealing with you in a way, and they were clearly looking out for themselves. Dealing with you, but selfishly so. Looking out for their own interests above yours. How did that feel? We've all experienced both sides of that coin, haven't we? And not only that, not only experienced both sides of that coin, but we've treated people in like fashion. Sometimes being selfless, not looking out for, for only our own interests, yet there, there are times when we are selfish, when we're not humble, when we don't think of others as better than ourselves, when we look out for our, our, our own interests. So I want you to do this for me. Think of a time, the more recent the better, but think of a time when you were selfish, not humble, looking out for your own interests at the expense of someone else. Where you decided this is gonna go my way. In this situation, I am doing me here. I'm I'm gonna get this thing and I'm gonna have it go my way. I'll give you a few seconds to think of an instance where this was you. Do you have your situation? Let me ask you this. Where did that selfish behavior come from? What caused you to act in that selfish way? As you reflect on that experience, do you have any sense of that? One last question. In that instance of selfishness, where was God? In that situation where you were doing you, where was God in the mix? What was your sense of God as that situation played out? And that gives us something to talk about this morning. But before we get to our scripture, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that you are here. you are here in this space with us, that you are here in this moment in time, that you are among us, that you are inside of us, that you are here for us. And may we be present to you in the way that you are present to us. And this morning as we open up your word, May we do so with honesty. I often say that in a a room this size with this many people, we are all, all over the place. Some of us happy and excited to be here. Some of us, we're here, but we don't wanna be here. Some of us maybe not sure why we're here. 
Some of us with joys. Some of us carrying very heavy burdens. And really every point in between. And so this morning as we've gathered as a church family to open your word, we do so with honesty. You know exactly where we're at. And so in this time, may we experience most of all you. May we experience your truth. May we experience the love of Jesus. Open our eyes and our minds and our ears and our hearts. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning we're going to start in Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to drive to verse 25, but we're actually going to jump into our passage in verse 20 just to to give us some context of what we're going to see coming out of verse 25. So, So Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. And I'm going to invite you to do something. If you feel comfortable... As I read this, and I'm going to read it slowly, but but I invite you to to close your eyes as I read and just simply imagine yourself in this story. So Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectively to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. And to give his life as a ransom many. So you have to know that pretty much everything leading up to verse 25 is an absolute train wreck. It says in in verse 24 that, that the disciples are indignant, and indignant here doesn't mean that they were mildly irritated, right? Right, these guys are upset. They're they're upset at James and John for this power trip. They're upset with James and John because they have the nerve to get mommy involved. The other disciples are upset that James and John are attempting to crawl over their backs to get to this place of honor. 
They're upset that they didn't think of this idea first, and now James and John have dibs on this place of honor. But wait, what makes it even more of a train wreck beyond the, the, the brashness of James and John looking out for their own interests? Beyond this feud that has now erupted amongst the disciples. The timing here is really bad. Right? So in the prior verses, Jesus is saying that he must die. And not just a generic reference to his death, but Jesus gives an explicit depiction of what is about to happen to him. He'll be betrayed, sentenced to die, handed over to the Romans mocked and flogged and crucified. Jesus has just laid out this explicit pronouncement of his death and resurrection. And in the very next verse, this story starts. As James and John make this this grab for this place of honor, for this place of power, for this place of influence. And as the disciples begin to fight, each looking out for their own interests, Jesus gets involved. In the words that we see in verse 25, lord it over and flaunt it, really what that means is that those in that Jewish culture, it was true for them back in the day and it's true for you and I today, but, but the idea is that those in power that those with power tend to use that power as a means, as a weapon to get what they want. To serve themselves, not to serve others, but to promote themselves and to secure exactly and whatever they want. And it's easy for us to be hard on James and John, but they are simply repeating what they know. They live in this super hard world of oppression where pretty much everyone is looking out for number one. And unless there is an outside influence that shows us a better way, we simply repeat what we know. We repeat the predominant patterns in our culture. But as as Jesus steps into this fight, into this power grab, Jesus says, and I love this, but among you it will be different. Among you, it will be different. And then Jesus sets up a crossroads that he brings James and John into and the other disciples into that he brings you into. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And then Jesus himself firmly and fully steps into that crossroads. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Against the you look out for you storyline of the prevailing culture, Jesus says that there is a better way to do life than self-promotion at the expense of others. There is something that is far better than getting your own way. There is the way of Jesus. It is a way of self-sacrifice. It is the way of serving others. And so from our scripture in Matthew chapter 20, it's not hard to see the absolute criticality of serving others. Not as a random act of kindness, 
not as a once and done kind of thing, but serving others as an actual and very real way of life. But how? See, you, you face, unless you choose the way of Jesus, you face th- this very human default. You will gravitate to, to, to a very human default of serving you. So, so how do you serve others when your just automatic default is to serve yourself? And not only is it your very human default, but, but that, that default is enforced or reinforced by our broader culture. Uh, another but how is that, that it, is, it is not super hard to serve someone who you know is going to serve you back. But how do you serve someone when you know that they are not going to return a favor? How do you serve someone that in that moment you may not want to serve? Right? You're a jerk of a boss. You're arrogant teacher. You're difficult friend. Your family. It's been one of those days and it seems like they are just trying to push your buttons. How do you serve someone who, who very well may take advantage of you? How do you do that? To answer this question, I want to I tie back to the thing that I asked you a few moments ago. When I asked you to think of a time where, where you were serving your own interests at the expense of someone else. And then I asked you, so, so what caused you, what triggered you to act in that selfish way? And this really is our very first how because it is an invitation to notice. To be aware of what triggers you to act in selfish ways triggers you to look out for, for you first and foremost. Because when you're looking out for for your own interests at the expense of someone else, do you realize that that tends to come from a place of self-protection? From a place of, of, I've got to secure this thing for myself. I've got to grab this thing for myself. I've got to stand up for my rights. I've got to protect what is mine. Really, and this is key, Me looking out for me at your expense comes from the belief that if I don't look out for me, no one else will. Comes from a deep, so deep that you may not even realize that it's there, but comes from a deep sense that I need to use my strength and my power and my influence to get my way to take care of me because it's the safe thing to do. Because if I don't look out for me, nobody else is going to do that. I say it this way, looking out for you at the expense of others comes from a sense that you are alone. So, so recognizing what drives us to serve us, that's our first how. Our second how is this. If our looking out for us at the expense of, of others comes from a sense that we are alone, 
And so we have to protect ourselves because if we don't, no one else is going to. Our second how is the truth of Matthew 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because Jesus has given his life as a ransom for many. Because Jesus has given his his life as a ransom for you if you are a follower of Jesus. The second how is to realize, like deep down in your guts realize that you are not alone. That God has looked out for you, that God is looking out for you, and has done so most powerfully through Jesus. The second how ties back to my question. Maybe you thought the question was a little bit weird. But my question at the top of our time together where I asked you, where, where was God? In that instance of selfishness that I asked you to recall. And the answer to that really is that God was right there with you in that moment. You may not have been able to see him. You might not have sensed him. You might not have been aware of his presence. You may have have been so busy doing you that you didn't even look for him. And so being blind to how he was with you in that situation then pushes you to that very human, I've got to take care of this. I've got to take care of me. It's one of the beauties of of, of us doing this, gathering together as a church family every week is to remind ourselves that God has looked out for us. That God has looked out for you, is looking out for you, and again has done so most powerfully through Jesus. This is the gospel. That God has so loved you through his son that God walks with you through, through trials and struggles and speed bumps. That God has made a way. That no matter what difficult things come into your life, no no matter what your days may hold, that you can be secure in God's plan and God's love for you. And as you realize that at a a deeper and deeper level in your heart, you find that you no longer have to worry about you because God has you. God is your good shepherd that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you don't have to fear anything. It's where this kind of courage comes from because you know that God is with you. It's what gives you the ability even in the face of of those who, who are going to take advantage of you. And you know that going in. So it gives you the opportunity to step out in sacrificial love and to serve those kind of people. To step out in humility. To step out looking after the needs of others. To step out being okay with being last. And so because of what Christ accomplishes on the cross for you, freedom and love and grace you are invited to allow that same freedom and love and grace to flow through you to everyone around you. So for the last couple of minutes, we've been talking about us as individuals. 
but I want to circle back and talk about us, our shared life together. As a church, we are, are known for the ways that we serve. But I have to wonder, how much more could we do? I have to wonder, what happens if we take that fire that's already burning and we pour gasoline on that fire? This past week, someone sent this to me because of this series. And it's an excerpt from a book by a pastor named Scott Sauls. And Scott was, was a pastor up in New York City with Tim Keller, and now he's leading a church in Nashville. But it's an excerpt from his book, Irresistible Faith. And he writes in this piece all about being a community that serves. And here's what he writes. Serving sacrificially can work in virtually any area of life, in all the places where we live, work, and play. All it takes is some intentionality and faithfulness about a few things. It means being fully present and engaged and pursuing available opportunities to leave people, places, and things better than we found them, all for the love of God. whenever and wherever we have the opportunity to do so. It doesn't have to be on a grand stage. In fact, most of the time it manifests in the daily, ordinary stuff of life. And yet, as Christians everywhere look for small and ordinary ways to leave it better, the cumulative impact can have staggering effects. Consider Jesus and the disciples. They gain favor and influence by living among their neighbors and colleagues, including those who were poor and marginalized and forgotten. Not as some power-driven or partisan moral majority, but as an intentional, creative, love-driven, life-giving minority who, to the chagrin of the emperors of Rome, found a way to love Rome better than Rome loved Rome. Even Emperor Julian, who sought to exterminate Christians from the face of the earth, and by virtue of this earned the nickname Julian the Apostate in the history books, he bemoaned in a letter to a friend that he could not defeat Christianity because the people of Jesus tended to serve and love Rome's poor better than Rome did. Instead of living as disciples of Jesus in the world, we have in many ways become disciples of the world. Instead of leaving marks of the kingdom on the world, we have let the world leave its mark on us. Instead of denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and following Jesus, we have instead allowed ourselves to deny our neighbors, take up our comforts, and follow our dreams. But what if, collectively, Christians began again to love the world around us as we ourselves have been loved by Jesus. And next, there's about 15 what ifs here that are each like a punch in the gut. But unfortunately, I don't have time to read those. I'll give you a couple. What if, in the spirit of Jesus, Christians once again became known as those who welcome sinners and eat with them, such that sinners begin to say of Christians, I like them and I want to be like them? 
What if in the spirit of the early church, Christians once again began to enjoy the favor of all the people? Not because of how like the world they have become through assimilation and accommodation, but because of how unlike the world they've become through their lives of love and good deeds. What if Christians once again collectively and comprehensively and universally live such compelling lives that the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved? What if, and this is ever so important in consideration of these other what ifs, we realize that the pressure to make such things happen is completely off our shoulders because the ultimate responsibility and power for change has been placed squarely on Jesus' shoulders. Jesus and only Jesus holds the keys for unlocking the flourishing of the people and places and things that that he not only created but sustains and restores and will ultimately perfect in glory. And if we do this, watch out. Because when we do this, we just might become the best kind of dangerous. But the thing is, none of that gets out of the gate for us if you are functionally convinced that you are alone that you have to look out for you. And so if serving is born out of a knowing, a deep down in your bone, a deep down in your gut kind of knowing that you are are not alone, that you can step out and risk much because you yourself have been loved much, what will you do to remind yourself of that fact? How might you regularly reboot your your head and your heart with that truth? Because when you serve, you don't go it alone. You are, are being Jesus to those around you. You are sharing Jesus to those around you. You are empowered by Jesus. Jesus is with you. I want us to end where we started. This is Philippians chapter two. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, And gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father.